the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into hour two, uh, there the story we had last week of the uh, talk, the event, speaking event with uh, Dennis Prager and Robert Kiyosaki and others at ASU that uh, earned the ire of so many professors who wrote a letter to the dean uh, uh, at ASU, the dean of the Barrett Honors College, um, saying that platforming such speakers was an assault to the principles of higher education. They called Dennis Prager a white nationalist, among other things. And you'll recall uh, three professors actually uh, stood up, three professors at ASU stood up to remind not only the community uh, and but the school itself that as a signatory to the University of Chicago's principles on free speech, um, this event should go forward. People should not be triggered. They should attend and ask questions, and we would normally call something like that an intellectual enterprise. Uh, too much for uh, some in the community, but the story isn't over. Uh, the story has a fermata over it. It's still going. So we bring back our friend Professor Owen Anderson. Uh, Dr. Anderson is a professor at ASU in the School of Humanities, Arts and Cultural Studies. We had a great conversation about all this last week, including one of his books, uh, The Declaration of Independence and God. Professor Anderson, welcome back. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me back. It's you great bet. to talk with you again. You, you and I, I was—I was really. Oh, I was no, no, no! You go really, ahead. You go ahead. My bad. Go ahead. Yeah, I was really impressed by the event last week. I had—I had high expectations for it, but I think it even exceeded my expectations. And I was told there were twelve hundred people in the audience. And then, if you look on YouTube, there were another, another sixteen thousand yeah. people watching it. Yeah, it was—it it surpassed my expectations. It was better than I thought yeah. it would. And I don't think anyone yeah, was when, harmed. No, and the thing is, when I heard Charlie Kirk start to speak, I realized why they were worried about it. Yeah. And I was, I was very impressed with what he said. He said a few things. Seek God. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your parents. Take personal responsibility for your life. And make the moral choice to be happy. And you can see why some might not want those things said on a campus. Yeah, you can. You had an advertisement or two for the Super Bowl that uh, was featuring Jesus' teaching about loving your enemies and trying to help uh, uh, repair the divides among us. And Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said, this is an effort to make fascism look benign. There is something yeah. about the left that can't stand forces of composition in this society. I think they stand for the forces of decomposition. They do. And I think what Dennis Prager said at the event was equally true, Professor, uh, when he said their fear is that in 90 minutes I will undo what it takes them four years to do. I think he's right about that. Yeah, there is something there and, and something to the value of public debate. And I, yeah. I still stand by my offer to publicly debate any of the signers or even all of the signers of that letter. Um, it could be 37 of them up on the stage and just me because I'm very confident in the principles of free speech and the principles of 
uh, the things I just mentioned that Charlie Kirk said, I'm very confident those are the right things to defend. Oh, well, let's give them a lot of avenues and make it really easy. Uh, last week in a monologue, I invited to debate any one of them. So that offer stands, too. Uh, if you want to do it with me and they want to take three, 37 against 2, fine. 37 against 1, fine. If they want to just do it by phone with me, that's fine. The offers stand. But I did see, uh, Professor, one of these teachers, one of these professors did go to Channel 12 News uh, to complain that because they wrote a letter calling Dennis Prager a white nationalist, evidently they now feel unsafe. I did notice while they put up Dennis Prager and Charlie Kirk's face and name on the uh, on the uh, Channel 12 story, they didn't put up this professor's name. Um, it, it, these things are subtle, but I, I have a pretty good eye for them. Tell me if there's any other well, aftermath or anything you want to say to yeah. that and then the aftermath. Sure. Yeah, let me tell you about that, about yeah. Channel 12, because yeah. they didn't reach out to any of the three of us. Who wrote all <laughs> I could have guessed. For a second yeah. side, right? They, yeah. It was a completely one-sided story. Yeah. And in their title they, of that story, they called the event an anti-education yeah. event. right. Right. Professors face backlash after questioning an anti-education event. Yeah. I don't even know how you have it. Yeah, I know this. (laughs) Isn't an anti-education event book burning and banning? That would be anti-education. Yeah. Yeah, this was was to get a a full education. Allow yourself to be taught how to critically think and not just be told one narrative. Well, I would think so. Your audience can decide what a real education is. Yeah, I think anyone who sees that on YouTube or anyone who was at the event would say these are things I'd never heard before at a college campus or I rarely hear on a college campus, and I don't think anyone would have disagreed with them either. Right. Yeah, well, I I received an email from President Crow last week thanking me for Mm. speaking up about uh, free speech, defending free speech, and he reaffirmed ASU's commitment to free speech Good. and to allowing all different views to be heard on campus. But then I was told by my college not to speak to the media about current events until I run it through their media department. Did you and run this interview through their media department? Are we are we talking against the law here? Well, well, that's the thing is that <laughs> I was questioned about what I talked about and who I talked with. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very confident President Crow wants there to be free speech and our faculty manual affirms that any of us professors have the right as private citizens to speak to the media whenever we want. Now, at the top of the hour, when you introduce me, you introduce where I work. And it even tells us in the the factory manual that you're free to do that to identify me. But it doesn't doesn't imply that I'm representing ASU. Of course not. not. No one would think that you were. Yeah, yeah, I'm speaking as a private citizen. In fact, I don't don't think they think you are. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the thing is, here's the problem. Here's what this represents. Whenever there's a concerted whistleblower, this is the treatment they can expect to go through. And it's, it's, it's a, an extra burden that we placed on you, a difficulty in your workplace, which those on the far left never face. And so if you're a concerted whistleblower, you have to ask yourself, do I want to go through it? And the right. answer might be no. Right. So it shuts down free speech, it shuts down whistleblowing, and it shuts down public debate. And that's not right. We used to call it in First Amendment law a pretext to chill, chilling speech. That was the idea, yep. making you yep. feel like you are going to be in trouble if you speak. That's exactly yeah, what you, chilling speech is. You'll get called in for a special meeting to ask you what you were you were talking about. So, so the uh, but but again, my campus. I'm on the on the West Campus, and we have so many far left events. 
I, I'd like to see if any of those professors are ever given that same question. Do they have to clear what they're going to say if they're invited to speak at an event, a rally? Do they have to clear it with the comms department? Yeah, I bet zero have to. I bet zero have been told they have to. Just my bet. Yeah. I'd place that bet with yeah. someone. The... Yeah, so that that's the ongoing story right now. We'll see how it resolves. It's not resolved yet. And and uh, I'm going to continue to stand up for free speech and for conservatives' right to speak as private citizens because if, if no one does that, then that chilling effect you were mentioning is what happens. It's exactly right. Uh, we've seen this with people attending school board meetings that want to question the curriculum at the public schools they pay taxes for. We've seen it in any number of things. And for those that want to question the value of free speech and free exchange of ideas. I understand there may be a hardened sense among certain populations, but arguendo, even those that were for the strictest of COVID mitigation strategies, even those must be thinking a little bit, and you've seen some of them. You've seen some of them, Dr. Wen in the Washington Post. You saw an article in the Atlantic Monthly about this. Even some of them are saying, we got some of this wrong and we probably need some kind of amnesty or forgiveness for those that were arguing with us that we tried to shut down. There's the value of free speech right there. You just may not know it all. You may just not know everything, right? Yeah, and you can you can change your mind. That's The thing is, a debate isn't a fight. A debate is a debate where you present your ideas, they present their ideas, and what can happen is one of you says, wow, I'm thinking about this in a new way now. Thanks for that input. I might change my mind. And the audience can do that as well. It's too bad if you go to a debate thinking, I just want to see the guy who's on my side. Yeah. It's good if you go there and say, I, I want to hear the two arguments, and I'm going to evaluate which one is sound and, and which one's unsound or, or uh, see what's happening. I don't know how you could teach philosophy your field. I literally don't know how you could teach it if that weren't the abiding rule for your pedagogy. I really don't know here uh, how you could teach anything from, uh, you know, Plato to, to Marx. Oh, uh, Professor Anderson, I have to take a quick commercial break. Can you do another segment with me? Because I want to get into more of this yeah. with you if I can. I appreciate yeah, absolutely. it. Wonderful. Our guest is... Uh, Dr. Uh, Owen Anderson, he was um, thanked um, by Dennis Prager for standing up for the true principles of a university, not a specific one, the idea of a college, higher learning and intellectual excellence and pursuits. He deserves that. Thanks. Too few get it. The brave man deserves it. And we will honor him here. We're going to talk more about free speech and education when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Professor Owen Anderson is our guest. He is a professor of philosophy and religious studies over at ASU. You can follow him on follow him on Twitter. Great, 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 and active Twitter feed at Doctor underscore Owen Anderson at dr. I should say at dr underscore underscore Owen Anderson. Professor, there's this weird thing that happens, and I don't quite know how to put my finger on it. I have a few different phrases I'm working with. But when you look at that Channel 12 interview with uh, one of the faculty members who opposed the Prager event, um, or if you read the letter they wrote to the dean at the Honors College, 
they say things like, well, of course we respect intellectual diversity. Of course ASU should be a, be a place where students encounter broad diversity of voices and viewpoints. But this is hate. You know, this yeah, is this is this right. Just not this. I it's it's kind of a the word I have for it. It's not a great one, but it's it's kind of a, a a regime opinion hierarchy where we define and we get to define our side gets to define the playing field, the entire plane of what's acceptable and anything off that plane. Uh, anything perhaps one standard deviation to the right of Joe Lieberman doesn't belong there. Um, that yep. that that's basically well, how I see. It. Huh? Yeah, right. That, that's the, they'll say words you want to hear. We're we're all for, and then there's some positive yes. words: love, justice, yes. equity, freedom of speech. Yes, they'll throw those words in there. And they, the the thing you got to teach your students and, and 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 be ready for is what do you mean by those words? That's the main question. What do you mean by that? Yeah. What do you mean by calling Dennis Prager a white nationalist? You and I had fun yeah. with that phraseology. He is now well, the observant, the observant Jewish face of white nationalism. Is that what we said? <laughs> yeah, and a bigot. And a bigot. a bigot. So it's yeah. interesting that they're they're yeah. then complaining about a backlash when their letter was filled with ad hominems, and then they attacked the three of us on Twitter who signed. They, well, I shouldn't say they. It wasn't the seventy, the thirty-seven authors. It was another account. Yeah. Attacked the three of us. They made fun of us and said. Uh, oh, look at these white uh, men who are complaining about not having freedom of speech. Let's, yeah, right. let's uh, hold them up in our thoughts and prayers. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, you know, don't don't use ad hominems ever. No one should ever do that on both sides. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. But, but I, was look, I was looking at the report of the Committee on Freedom of Expression from University of Chicago, and it's interesting because it comes out of a couple, a couple events. One of them is an event around 1932 where William... Foster, the Communist Party's candidate, was invited to campus and protested. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that, hey, if you're a communist running for a president, you should have the freedom to speak on a university campus. Mm-hmm. Now, advanced to 2023, when a vast majority of humanities professors are Marxists, mm-hmm. they don't, according to this letter, want people to have that same yeah. The free speech does not abide for anti-communists. There was, there, there's another yeah. weird element to this, too. I, I, I watched that Channel 12 interview a few times because I was trying to see how smart this professor was and if he was making a cogent argument. I'm, I'm left wanting, so I'll probably have to watch it a few more times. But there was this interesting statement he had, Professor Anderson. Help me out with this. There's probably a philosophical fallacy to it. I don't know what it is. Is it ignorantio alenci or something? He said... Um, well, we wrote this letter, and then it turned into some kind of culture war. No, you, <laughs> they they yeah. were surprised there was a reaction to the letter that yeah. should have been taken as if it were from Mount Olympus. It's a culture yeah. war for well, you to respond right. to their letter attacking you. you. You shouldn't be allowed to debate back. We told you what to do. Yeah. Just do it. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, we just wrote so a letter me, saying they shouldn't be here, and then it created some kind of culture war. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Well, and also, even then, it's almost as if they're surprised that there's anyone who wants to debate this. Isn't Marxism a settled matter? Right, right, right. And so when you asked me before the break, doesn't philosophy require this? Yeah. Yes, ideally, but the truth of the matter is, the, 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 I, I refer to this as the Marxist religion. Yeah. So, so you can think of Marxist economics, which yeah. was a failed proposal about how economics work. It, it was proven wrong. But then there's also the Marxist religion, which is what we still have with us. Mm-hmm. And it's held to in this very pious religious sense that you can't question it. And, and to talk to someone 
who believes that history should only be understood in terms of class conflict, gender right. conflict, race conflict, right. and suggests there are other ways to understand history, it's not even on the radar. So they think they're just telling the students the truth of the matter. They don't even realize they're just telling one history of, or one philosophy of history, which I think you can quite easily prove to be false. Well, not only can you prove it to be false, I think demonstrably, um, even if you even if even if you couldn't, and I think I can, and I think history itself has done that, even modern history. But even if you couldn't, why would in the pursuit, or I should say, in the discipline of philosophy, would you not show the argument? I mean, this is the entire yeah. project of philosophy. I can't imagine oh, yeah. reading any anything like the Republic or anything like any of the dialogues if you just take out half of it. You don't get the book. You don't get what the philosopher yeah. stood for. You're removing half well, of is, it. It is a dialogue for a reason, right? And and if it's such a strong position, yeah. you should be excited to debate it. I would public. think one so. Of the, I would one, think so. one person replying to me on Twitter said, I don't know how to read mm-hmm. because I misread their letter. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, then they should be, I replied, they should be super excited to debate me then if I'm a poor reader and a poor thinker. You would think. So where's the debate? No, the point is to shut you down, not to uh, not to debate it. And then they'll come up with other pretexts like, well, we don't want to give this hater. Uh, we don't want to give this uh, Neanderthal yeah. a stage, which is, of course, a cop-out. I have a friend I was um, I grew up with. He was a little older than me. He was actually my babysitter. He's now a scholar uh, at Brookings. Jonathan Rausch is his name. You may know of some of his work. And he wrote this proposal that should be placed in every college handbook. He said, warning, although this university values and encourages civil expression and respectful personal behavior, you may at any moment and without further notice encounter ideas, expressions, and images that are mistaken, upsetting, dangerous, prejudiced, insulted, insulting, or deeply offensive. We call this education. That's not a far afield from the Chicago principle statement. But my gosh. Yeah, Let me read one sentence from it, the Chicago Statement. It says, in a word, the university's fundamental commitment is to the principle that debate or deliberation may not be suppressed because the ideas put forth are thought by some or even by most members of the university community to be offensive, unwise, immoral, or wrongheaded. Just that sentence is a direct contradiction to the letter that they wrote. Well, good for because the, they're, what they're saying is that most of us, the majority of us, don't want this event to happen, so it should. Exactly. Yeah, triumph of the will. Um, it's really, it's really right by might, right? It's that, it's that might proves, proves right, uh, rather yeah, than the other way around. Yeah, we talked about that last time. Yeah, we talked about it. It is Thrasymachus's argument all over again, which found its um, ultimate expression uh, from 1933 to 1945 in Germany. Uh, Professor Anderson, you are a gem. I am glad that uh, we have you here in Arizona. I think your students are fortunate to have you, and I'm fortunate to call you a new friend. I hope you'll keep us posted on the goings-on. I will. I'll keep you updated. And, and you can also your, your listeners can also find me on Substack under Dr. Owen Anderson, where I'll be keeping up on all these events. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. God bless and Godspeed. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Don't believe everything the Biden administration tells you. Recently, they claimed more than 500,000 new jobs were created. 
But what about 300 tech companies laying off more than 100,000 workers? Where are those figures reflected? You know that your personal finances are worse now than they were when Biden took office, and record inflation has lowered the value of your money. What can you do to stop the bleeding? I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to look into safeguarding your wealth with the stability of gold while you still can. Gold traditionally holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the pain of inflation and the ruin of a recession. Take a positive step to guard your cash reserves and investment. Talk with the good folks at Midas Gold Group, the only precious metals dealer, Seb Gorka, I and thousands of you already know. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or better yet, give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480-360-3000. Here, too, the Honorable should find its due. On this day seven years ago, one of the greats passed away, Antonin Scalia, Supreme Court Justice. Uh, To honor him, the Judicial Network put this clip up of him explaining to the Senate Judiciary Committee the importance of one of our deeply important structures in American government, which is the separation of powers. Let's honor him and that by his lesson on it. The real key to uh, the distinctiveness of America is the structure of our government. One part of it, of course, is the independence of the judiciary. But there's, there's, there's a lot more. There are very few countries in the world, for example, that, that have a bicameral legislature. Oh, England has a House of Lords for the time being, but the House of Lords has no substantial power. They can just make the Commons pass a bill a second time. France has a Senate. It's honorific. Italy has a Senate. It's honorific. Very few countries have two separate bodies in the legislature equally powerful. That's a lot of trouble, as you gentlemen doubtless know, to get the same language through two different bodies elected in a different fashion. Very few countries in the world have a, a separately elected uh, chief executive. Sometimes I go to Europe to talk about separation of powers. A- and when I get there, I find that all I'm talking about is independence of the judiciary. Because the Europeans don't even try to divide the, the two political powers, the two political branches, the legislature and the chief executive. In all of the parliamentary countries, The chief executive is the creature of the legislature. There's never any disagreement between them and the the prime minister, as there is sometimes between you and the president. When when there's a disagreement, they just kick him out. They have a no-confidence vote, a new election, and they get a prime minister who agrees with the legislature. And, uh, you know, the, the Europeans look at the system and they say, well, it passes one house, it doesn't pass the other house. Sometimes the other house is in the control of a different party. It passes both. And then this president who has a veto power vetoes it. And they look at this and they say, uh, it, is, it is gridlock. And, and I, I hear Americans saying this nowadays, and there's a lot of it going around. They, they talk about a dysfunctional government because there's disagreement. And, 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 they, and the framers would have said yes. That's exactly the way we set it up. We, we wanted this to be power, uh, contradicting power, because the main, uh, the main ill that beset us, as, as Hamilton said in, in The Federalist, when he talked about a separate Senate, he said, yes, it seems inconvenient, but inasmuch as the main ill that besets us is an excess of legislation, it won't be so bad. 
This is 1787. He didn't know what an excess of legislation was. So uh, uh, unless Americans can appreciate that and learn, learn to love the separation of powers, which means learning to love the gridlock, which the framers believed would be the main protection of minorities, the main protection. If, if a bill is about to pass that really comes down hard on some minority, they think it's terribly unfair, it doesn't take much to throw a monkey wrench into, into, this, into this complex system. So Americans should, uh, should appreciate that, and, and they should learn to love the gridlock. Uh, yeah, disagreement. Disagreement is not dysfunction, folks. Don't you miss, don't you miss him? I do, too. Thank God we got him replaced with a good one, Gorsuch. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Well, maybe the hearings last week on um, the uh, suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story, among other things, are beginning to pay some small dividends already. Maybe, maybe, maybe. When you have the opposition challenging itself now and running for the hills to save their own hides, that's a victory of sorts. You all know who uh, James Clapper is, former director of national intelligence, part of the crowd that um, said that the New York Post story had the earmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. He's now uh, saying that um, the political headline, which started it all, distorted the letter he and 50 other ex-Intel officials signed. Uh, the headline, of course, you may recall from the Politico story on, um, on it, was that, um, was that this was a, dis a Russian disinformation campaign. Let's see if I can get the exact headline from... The Politico story. Uh, I think I have it here. The headline read, yes, the headline read, 50 ex-intelligent officials state that the Hunter Biden story is Russian disinfo. Alternative headline, Hunter Biden story is Russian disinfo. Dozens of former intel officials say, well, James Clapper is saying, I never said it was Russian disinformation. And in fact, the letter itself doesn't say disinformation. It says it looks like it could be. Now, what's interesting about Clapper now saying this is, did he challenge the headline then? No, he did not. There's another point. Joe Biden quoted that headline in a debate against Donald Trump. He quoted the headline verbatim. Did James Clapper or any of those other 50 intel officials challenge or say anything corrective then? No, they did not. Funny what a little congressional hearing can stir up. Funny what a little congressional hearing can, stu can, can stir up when you're trying to save your own hide and your own speaking engagements and your own credibility and your own contracts with CNN. MSNBC. This isn't the biggest retraction, but it's a nibble, and it's a start, and it's interesting. I'll keep my eyes on it. Um, I, I, a lot of people were kind of 
wondering why when Ronald Reagan became president, one of the pictures he put up in his office was one of Calvin Coolidge. There wasn't a lot. There wasn't a lot of scholarship or even, shall we say, hagiography about Calvin Coolidge leading into the 1980s. Most historians disregarded him. And for those that did study him, they understood why most historians disregarded him. He was a brilliantly and intellectually conservative president. And the thing I think most school children or most even college students would know about Calvin Coolidge, the only thing they probably knew about him, was that he was known as Silent Cal, someone who just didn't speak very much. That's pretty much all you know. Hi, he's a president, didn't talk much. That was about it. Maybe a joke or two about bets he made about not having to speak very much. But if you actually do read his speeches, they are brilliant and beautiful, and they take a sledgehammer to the progressive cause that was storming America from his penultimate predecessor, Woodrow Wilson, and the academy that was growing up around it. If you read his speech, for example, uh, his July 4th speech of 1926 on the, uh, on, the, uh, bicent- on the 200th anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, um, it's one of the most beautiful distillations of what our founders were attempting with the Declaration of Independence. It's one of the most beautiful renderings of what the Declaration of Independence stood for, and you get a pretty good idea from it why progressives hate it. You will remember that Woodrow Wilson, hopefully you'll remember that Woodrow Wilson was a critic of the Declaration of Independence. He said truths are not self-evident, and he said that it was up to each subsequent generation to pour into the Declaration whatever they felt most necessary. Well, Calvin Coolidge's 1926 speech on July 4th was a direct answer to that about what it meant to have a finality in an understanding of natural rights based on the human condition and human nature and its relationship to God above it and animals below it. It's a beautiful speech. Anyway, I was thinking about all that as I see Steve Hayward over at Powerline is uh, putting together some remarks about Calvin Coolidge and selected three quotes that he thought would be most relevant for our times, quotes that he wants to use in his speech. One from Calvin Coolidge, It is a great advantage to a president and a major source of safety to the country for him to know that he is not a great man. When a man begins to feel that he is the only one who can lead in this republic, he is guilty of treason to the spirit of our institutions. Pretty good lesson in humility. Another quote, It is difficult for men in high office to avoid the malady of self-delusion. They are always surrounded by worshipers. They are constantly and for the most part sincerely assured of their greatness. They live in an artificial atmosphere of adulation and exaltation, which sooner or later impairs their judgment. They are in grave danger of becoming careless and arrogant. Pretty good lesson. And then finally, the last quote Steve Hayward shares with us. A sound and wise statesmanship which recognizes and attempts to abide by its limitations will undoubtedly find itself displaced by that type of public official who promises much, talks much, legislates much, expends much, 
but accomplishes little. <laughs> displaced. That's the displacement. Yeah, you don't. Uh, yeah, you don't. You don't need to flood the zone with ego or overpromise. The last couple presidents, our current and last, the last few presidents have suffered from some of this at different, differing and varying degrees. I think some of the soup we're in with regard, for example, to Russia, Ukraine, has to do with Joe Biden overpromising those crushing sanctions that were supposed to. And I think same with Afghanistan, extraordinary success. Not likely the Taliban will take control. You know, these these overpromises that are based on either wishful thinking or delusion, wishful thinking or delusion. But wishful thinking in foreign affairs or even our lives in domestic affairs, it's not something that should be rewarded. And if it's delusion, well, should be impeachable. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Many of you have heard me talking about why refi for a while now. And if you still have some questions about what investing with them can do for you, they uh, urge you to uh, get in touch with them. They're happily, uh, they'll happily put you in touch with any number of one of their many satisfied uh, clients in the Phoenix area who have invested with them to great result. Their phone number is 888-Y-REFI-34. Would you like your IRA to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? Did you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds? And you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn. Check them out at investyrefi.com. Investyrefi.com. Brandon Weikert's going to join us in the next hour. He'll... uh, Give us his uh, his thoughts and theses on the uh, four um, four unidentified objects that have had to be removed from our skies um, by uh, this administration. The thing I just can't get my head around is why this administration would be so vague about it. For all this conversation and all this talk about calming the population and cooling things off and calming things down, the they certainly seem to be awfully vague with answers that kind of raise our hackles rather than relax them. I mean, to float these various conspiracies and theories just seems to be the height of irresponsibility. And do you not want your president talking to you about this? Was this not an important weekend beyond the Super Bowl that the president should address himself to with regard to our our aerial space being invaded by things that they're not telling us what they were and having to be shot down and the problems in shooting them down? Well, we'll talk about all of that with Brandon, and um, and uh, we'll do that in the next hour. The other question is, he had an interesting and provocative column on the Republican nomination for the pres- uh, for 2024, There was a uh, story earlier today. I didn't realize. I guess I just wasn't counting. There are like 14 Republicans that are looking at running for president beyond Donald Trump, who's the only one to announce. And I guess Nikki Haley will officially announce later this week. 14. 14. Is that a good idea? I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.